welcome to Orchard Community Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. Well, there was a news story a few years ago about a 34-year-old man who had filed for divorce from his 28-year-old bride just a a couple of days, maybe two or three days after their wedding. And the natural question that you would have hearing that story is, well, what horrible thing could this woman possibly have done that would cause this guy to take such a drastic step so soon after they had been married? And it turns out that her terrible crime was allowing him to see her without makeup. And I'm, I'm not, I know that sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. It turns out that according to a psychologist uh, at a clinic that she sought help from for her psychological suffering after this, according to the man, he felt that she had deceived him about her looks with cosmetics and false eyelashes. Her deception was discovered because they went to the beach and took a swim in the ocean. And when they did, her makeup came off and that was it for him. He was out. And what a heartbreaking story. It's hard to even imagine. But the thing that is so clear when you hear that is that there's no way that this man actually loved her. He only desired her for her perceived physical beauty. And he either didn't know the difference between love and desire, or perhaps he'd fallen into that trap of thinking that getting what he desired would actually fill up his heart and his soul. What a lie that is that so many fall into. Well, I want to contrast this story with another story. This second story is told by Richard Selzer, and he's a surgeon. And it takes place in a hospital room after he'd operated on a young woman's face. And he writes this. He writes, I stand by the bed where the young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth now twisted in palsy. A tiny facial nerve had been severed. It will be that way from now on. I had followed with religious fervor the curves of her flesh. Nevertheless, in order to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut this little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands by her bedside. Together they seem to be in a world of their own in the evening light, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself. He and this wry mouth that I have made, who gaze at each other, And touch each other so generously. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It's because I had to cut that nerve. And she nods in silence. But the young man smiles. And he says, I like it. It's kind of cute. And all at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with the divine. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close that I can see how he twists his own lip to accommodate her, to show her that their kiss still works. What an amazing 
contrast. The love of this young couple touched Dr. Selzer so deeply it shocked him. The only word that he could find to describe it was divine, as something of God. And we, we know what he means. Love is powerful. It changes hearts. It changes lives. But so many people today confuse love with desire or want or fall into that other trap of thinking that satisfying their desires for so many things will somehow fill them up on the inside, fill their hearts and their souls, when in the end, those things always fall short because they are not what we truly, truly need. Well, this morning we are continuing our series of messages, All I Want for Christmas Is, and This time of year, we have a lot of wants, don't we? A lot of things we might like to get for Christmas, and we make Christmas lists, but as we've talked about so often, we have another list in here, deep in our hearts, of things that we truly need, of hopes that we have so deep within us. And there have, I'm sure, been so many prayers lifted up over generations at this time of year that begin with, Dear God, All I want for Christmas is. And you know, those prayers, they're all kinds. From, I want a new Lamborghini, to Lord, help my wife who's dealing with cancer. And so it's right here that we run into the confusion that we so often have between our wants and the things that we truly need. And so we're walking through the Christmas and Advent season this year And we're focusing on the fact that God's intent, God's desire at Christmas is not to fulfill all of our desires, all of our wants. But in fact, God's intent is to meet our true needs. We began week one with the story of Mary and the message of hope that we so need. We continued last week with the shepherds and our need for peace. And this morning, we're going to focus on the story of Joseph and the message that it contains for us about another deep need of our hearts, the need for love. So friends, pray with me, and we'll get started. Lord, we pray that you would speak as we always do. We pray that you would illuminate the scripture, these words written thousands of years ago. Lord, that you would bring them alive as we read them with eyes of faith and listen with eyes of faith. And that you would speak words to our hearts, to our lives, to our church, to this world. Powerful words this day of love, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. The story of Joseph is found in Matthew 1, uh, verse 18 through 25. So the Apostle Matthew writes this. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Matthew, the author of our passage, begins in verse 18, explaining that he's going to tell the story of the birth of Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we heard this story from Mary's perspective, from the Gospel of Luke. Now Matthew is going to fill us in on how things unfolded for Joseph. And so he begins by telling us in verse 18 that Mary, Jesus' mother, was pledged to be married to Joseph. As I mentioned a few weeks ago when we looked at the story of Mary, marriages in that time were arranged. The families would come together and they would make an agreement. And once that agreement had been made, the two were pledged or betrothed to one another. And during that time, they got to know each other and they planned for their wedding day. So both of these people, Joseph and Mary, probably had a lot of desires, probably had a lot of things that they wanted as they approached their wedding. They probably, like most brides and grooms, wanted to have a great wedding. They were probably wanting to set up their own household for the first time. She probably desired a caring husband, and he a devoted wife, and they most likely wanted to have children one day, and many, many things. It's important to understand that once they were pledged, they were considered legally married. That was the first phase of marriage. And it's for this reason that the next thing that Matthew says is so deadly serious. He says that before Mary and Joseph came together, meaning before their wedding day and the consummation of their marriage, that Mary was found to be pregnant. And this really was a catastrophe of epic proportion. There's no way to overstate how devastating this would have been for these two people in that time. It meant one of two things. It meant either Mary and Joseph had fooled around before their wedding day, which was strictly forbidden by their culture, and it would bring shame and disgrace on their families for their entire lives. Or it meant that Mary had committed adultery with another man, and in that case, the law required the divorce, and it would bring shame on her for the rest of her life. She might be disowned by her family. It's likely that no man would ever want to marry her. She'd be destitute, raising this child on her own. The law also stated that Mary, as an adulterer, should be stoned to death. Although, honestly, by this time in history, that didn't happen very frequently. But she would live with that lifelong shame hanging over her head. At least this is what all of this would have meant if Matthew hadn't also told us here that this child was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit. However, Joseph doesn't know that yet. Only we do, okay? So don't tell him, right? The story has to unfold here. So it says that Mary was found to be pregnant. And that language is important. Found. She was found out. It signals to us that Joseph 
was not let in on this information in a private conversation with Mary. It was found out, and it really wouldn't have been possible for them to have a private conversation because pledged couples in that time were never allowed to be alone. And we don't know how it was that Joseph found out, but somehow he did. He found out, and he knew that this child was not his own, and he must have been absolutely devastated. So with verse 19, the story continues, and we're told that Joseph was faithful to the law, or some translations say he was a righteous man. And this was a a really a high praise. It meant that Joseph was a man who was known in his community to have a deep love for God and who followed what the scripture asked. He followed God's law. And this is actually the reason that when he learned that Mary was pregnant, knowing that the baby wasn't his, he decided to divorce her because that's, in fact, what the law called for him to do. In fact, Jewish, Greek, and Roman law at the time all demanded that a man whose wife was an adulterer, that he must divorce her. The law also stated, like I said, that Mary should be stoned to death. Not only, however, was Joseph a faithful man, a righteous man, you can also see here as this story unfolds that he was a man with a kind heart. Because although he decided to do what the law required, it says that he chose to divorce Mary quietly. Now, the Jewish law gave two options. One is that Joseph could have called for a public divorce proceeding, and that was the more common thing to do in this situation because it would give him a public platform on which to proclaim his innocence and to make sure that everyone knew that Mary was the guilty party. It would clear his name and lift any shame from him, but he decided not to do that. The law also provided that he could simply write up a decree of divorce, sign it before two witnesses, and be done with it quietly and in private. And this is what he did. And there was really no reason for him to do that other than to spare Mary and her family from greater shame from a public proceeding. But it's also important for us to understand that in doing that, Joseph willingly took a certain amount of shame onto himself. This was an honor-shame society. And by not clearing his name, by doing this privately, he was accepting a certain amount of shame onto himself because he knew that without that public proclamation, there would always be people who would think that somehow he had done something wrong. And it illustrates that he was not just a faithful man, but a kind man. But you have to wonder, don't you, if there was also another reason. If you look at Joseph's response here, it's interesting. Because the news that Mary is pregnant, he doesn't really respond to that with anger. If anything, he just seems kind of somber and sad. And you have to consider that though this was an arranged marriage, maybe he loved Mary. Now, it's likely that they had known each other for their whole lives growing up in the same small town. And it could be that the whole reason that their marriage was arranged was that Joseph had gone to his father and told him, I care for Mary. Seek to arrange this marriage. That may have been how it happened. Or it could have been that the families got together and at the time that they were pledged, they didn't have those feelings. But during that time of betrothal, they fell in love. At any rate, I really believe that Joseph loved Mary and I think that he was devastated by the news that she was pregnant And I think he wanted it all just to go away 
quietly, quickly. But it's just then that something truly amazing happens. Verse 19 says that one night an angel appeared to Joseph as he was sleeping and he has a dream. And in verses 20 and 21, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel tells Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? He doesn't say, hey, take her as your wife. He says, don't be afraid. What's Joseph afraid of? He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And what he means is that Mary's not an adulterer. The child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So marrying her won't violate the law. Don't be afraid. You won't be violating the law if you marry her. Even though... No one's going to believe this story. You can know in your heart, but no one's going to be. So don't be afraid to take on the shame. Don't be afraid to take on the ridicule. I think was God was telling him not to be afraid to do what he actually wanted to do, which was marry the woman he loved, despite what people were going to think. But then the angel offers an even bigger surprise. He says that they're to name this child Jesus. And as we talked about with the story of Mary, the name Jesus means God saves, or you could translate it straight up as Savior. And then the angel explains why they're going to name him this. It says, because he will save his people from their sin. Notice also how the angel refers to Joseph here. He calls him son of David. This reminds us that Joseph is from the line of David, and that's such an important detail because the prophets had said hundreds of years ago that the Messiah, when he came to this earth, when he was born, would be in the line of David. And from the way the angel describes Jesus here, it's very clear that Jesus will be the Messiah. Jesus is that special person that hundreds of years before the prophets had said God would one day send. God would one day send to renew the faith of the people, to initiate God's kingdom here on earth, to deliver the people. Jesus is that one. And Matthew explains that all of this is happening according to God's plan. It's not out of the blue. This isn't a new chapter. This is actually what This has all been leading up to. Verse 22, Matthew explains that the prophet Isaiah had spoken about this very day, saying in verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. With that, the angel is gone, and Joseph has to decide what he's going to do. And his mind has got to be flooded with questions, right? Could he love Mary despite all of this? It's a lot of complication. Could he love this child that he just found out isn't, isn't his own? Most of all, did he love and trust God enough to take all of this on, knowing that people weren't going to understand and that he and Mary would bear shame and ridicule for their entire lives from those who believed that they had acted dishonorably? And it was a lot to consider. And yet somehow... Verses 24 and 5 simply say that when Joseph awoke, he did what the angel had asked. No waffling. He just simply does it. He chose faith 
in God, and he chose love. Joseph chose to love Mary despite all the complications that this scenario presented, despite the shame that would come with it. And he chose to love this child who was not his own. And these are not things that desire leads a person to do. Only love. Because, you know, desire is shallow. It's self-serving and it evaporates quickly when life gets hard, when the makeup washes off of your face. Or you're hit by any number of the bumps in the road that inevitably come in your life and in your relationships. But love is real and deep and selfless and it endures through the hard times. Like when a smile is tragically lost forever. Through thick and thin, through suffering and pain when they come into your life and your relationships. And Joseph chose to trust that God would take care of him. That God loved him enough to do that, to see him through the challenges ahead. He chose the harder road, Joseph did, not because it fulfilled all of his wants and desires. This is not the picture that Joseph would have painted for himself a few days ago if you'd have said, hey, Joseph, what do you want your life to look like? But he chose this road anyways, not again because it met all of his wants and desires, but because it was a better road, because with it, he would get what he truly needed. He would be living in faith and in the love of God. And God's love for Joseph is really a foreshadow here of the fullness of God's love that we have in Jesus. Because Jesus came to bring a greater and deeper understanding of God's love than anyone had ever known in this world. Some truly good news Jesus came to bring to this world. And I think that there are a lot of people who have suffered this past year, have struggled this last year, and all that they really want for Christmas is some good news. And here it is. When I look at our second scripture, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, John writes this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here the apostle John proclaims the good news that God loved the world so much that he gave us his only Son. Jesus was not only a gift of love, came to bring us the gift of God's love. He came to make sure that we know that God loves us, that we know that God forgives, so that we know that God wants us. And not just us, not just that God loves humanity, because God certainly does, but so that we would know that God loves you and me personally. Do you know that? Do you know that God truly loves and wants you? As a pastor, I know that any time that I preach that word, there's somebody in the audience who's saying, but not me. You don't know. Not me. I've done this. I've done that. Not me. And if that's you right now in the depths of your heart, you're thinking, not me. I have a special word for you, all right? And I want you to hear this in all the kindness and humility that I can muster. Get over yourself. 
Why do you think that you get to decide who God loves? You don't get to decide that. God decides that. And it's already been decided. God loves and forgives and wants you. And you don't get to decide that. So I want to just call upon you to, as difficult as it may be, seek to lay aside that feeling of not me and simply accept the truth that God really loves and wants you. Jesus came with the incredible gift, the incredible message of God's love for you and me, and then he did the most amazing thing of all. He laid down his life to prove it. You see, Jesus knew that our sin was destroying our relationship with God. And how could it not? How can our sin not destroy our relationship with God? How can people who are constantly making a mess of things, who are constantly hurting one another, hurting ourselves, constantly falling short of God's glory so often and in so many ways, how could we not ruin our relationship with God? That's the reality of who we are. And yet God was not going to let that happen. In Jesus, the God of the universe chose, and I really want you to hear this, in Jesus, the God of the universe chose not to respond to our sin with anger and rejection. And that was an option. But instead, the God of the universe chose to respond to our sin by laying down his own life for us. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. And then that is what he did. He laid down his life for us on the cross, exchanging his life for ours, putting right the wrong of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And it's the greatest conceivable act of love that the Lord God Almighty would lay down his life for you and for me. And so my question again is, do you know that? Do you know that the God of the universe laid down his life for you? Do you know that you are loved that deeply? Because when you know that, it changes you. It fills your heart and your soul in a way that nothing else ever could. You know, desire is so much less than love. And whatever pleasure we get, Whatever pleasure we derive from getting the things that we desire, it fades so quickly like sand through our fingers. It's never enough and we need more and more and it never lasts. It's just not as good as love. And of all the love that we could ever experience in this life, the love of God outshines them all by a million miles. The love of God is deep and powerful and never-ending. In his book, The Pleasure of God, John Piper shares why God's love is superior to any other love that we will ever find on earth. And he writes this. He says, sometimes we joke and we say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. But that's because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritation that will come with a long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and handsome as we once were. 
We can't come up with enough new things to keep relationships fresh, but God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He is talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasure and honeymoon energy and excitement, enthusiasm and enjoyment. He is trying to get it into our hearts that what he means, he's trying to get it into our hearts what he means when he says that he rejoices over us with all of his heart. And add to this that with God, the honeymoon never ends. He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love. And so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level of intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personalities. And he decides what's good for us, and what he will change and what he will let go of. He will always be as handsome as he ever was. And he will see to it that we get more and more beautiful forever. And he is infinitely creative to think of new things to do so that there will never be any boredom for the next trillion ages of millennium with him. So friends, let's not confuse desire with love. And let's not fall into the trap of thinking that the wants of our heart, that the desires of our heart can fill up our hearts and souls because they never can. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds this Christmas by seeking after Jesus and the great gift of God's love that he brings with him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pray with me. Loving God, we, just, we pray that you would speak deeply into the confusion of our hearts, Lord. We are so often consumed by what we want, by what we desire, thinking that we somehow know best, thinking that we somehow know what would actually fill our hearts when nothing could ever do that but your love. And so we pray, God, that you would help us to set aside our wants and our desires. We pray that you would help us to set aside anything that make us think that we're disqualified and accept your great love for us, that you lived and died and rose again because you love and want every one of us. May we embrace Jesus, Lord, and may we embrace your great love for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.